Good morning, Grapevine. How are you this morning? Okay. I want to tell you, if you are a first-time guest of Grapevine Baptist Church, you have done us a favor. You had a lot of places where you could have gone to church. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning in this place. And again, I've been blessed by the choir, by the music. You are blessed to have that in your church. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Haggai. There is a book in the Bible by that name. It is found between two Z's, Zephaniah and Zechariah, if you can find those. It's near the end of the Old Testament. While you're looking for that, let me just share some things with you. You ever ask yourself why you can't get ahead? You ever ask why you can't get ahead of problems? Problems with your health? Problems with your family? With relationships? Problems on the job? You ever wonder why you cannot get ahead of your debt? There's just never enough finances, it seems like and you cannot get ahead. In our cities, we wonder why we cannot get ahead. We wonder why we can't get ahead of the prejudice and the poverty and the difficulties that are taking the lives of our citizens, why our coffers are never enough for all the, the needs that we have in our cities. In our churches, we're asking why we can't get ahead. Why can we not get ahead of the non-committal lethargy that we find in our churches? For most people, the church is just a place of life events, of birth and marriage and death. They never see it as a place of world transformation. They come in and go out without anything ever happening in their lives. And we wonder, why is things like that in our churches, in our lives? We have a lot of, I guess I could say, cultural Christianity and not much biblical Christianity. Well, if you've ever asked those questions, you're not alone. There was a group of people long time ago, in fact, 500 years before Christ walked on this earth, who was asking the same questions, why can't we get ahead? In fact, they lived in a time of inflation that would stagger modern-day economists. It seemed they earned a pretty good living and wage but by the time they got it home, it was gone. In fact, the prophet says it was like putting your money in a bag that had holes in it. Can you identify with that? And this group of people couldn't figure out why they could not get ahead. And so I hope you have God's Word, and I want you to see what a group of Jews in the ruins of Jerusalem, learned. 
I'm going to ask you to stand as you follow along in your copy of God's Word from Haggai. I'm going to read the first five verses and part of verse 9. Listen to what God's Word says. In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shephiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time is not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. In other words, how are things going for you? And then he really gets pretty graphic in verse 9. He says, you looked for much... And it came to little. You thought you were getting ahead, and you were getting behind. You weren't winning, you were losing. Now God has a word for us this morning. He has a word for you, and He has a word for me. And I just pray we'll be available. Would you pray with me? Father, My prayer this morning, above any and everything else, is that we as believers, children of God in this place, will grieve over our sins. Oh, Father. That we would realize that these sins have affected our church. They've affected our nation They've affected our family and they have affected the generations to come that will follow us. And so, Father, I ask just simply this morning, I pray, Father, that there will be brokenness and repentance of sin in this place. And I pray, Father, that not only here, but across our nation, as you convict us, we would respond and repent. I pray it begins in this pulpit. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. And understand what's happening when we break in in this passage of Scripture in Haggai. I need to give you a little background, and it'll be just a little easier to understand as to what is going on. You will remember that God's children had been in captivity for 70 long years in Babylon, modern-day Iraq. And they were there until finally a Persian king by the name of Cyrus allows some to come back. Ezra 2 tells us that 43,360 made the trip back, some 700 miles. And they went back with a specific purpose of living again 
among the ruins there in Jerusalem and restoring that, but even more so than restoring the city and places to live, they had been sent back to rebuild the temple. Now, if you know very much about Old Testament customs, religious customs, you will remember that for the Jew, the temple was different than our buildings. Our buildings, we can worship God, are convenient places for us to worship in. We can worship in a schoolhouse. We can worship in a tent. We can worship in a funeral home. We can worship in a lot of places. But for the Jew, they were under a taught principle that said the tabernacle was a holy and sacred place because the Shekinah glory of God dwelt in that place. And so for 70 long years, they did not have a place where they could come together and worship. And the rebuilding of that temple would signify God's returned presence to his people for them to know and the world to see. It was a tremendous event that was going to happen. And so when they come back, their original, their initial enthusiasm is just over the top. The Bible, Ezra tells us about this. The Bible says that when they came back, they found the ruins of the temple, great columns that had been broken and knocked down. And they began to clear these huge stones from the floor of the temple. They pushed it off to one side and to another until they got it all clear. And then... When they got it all cleared off, Ezra tells us that they found the exact spot where the altar set. Now let me remind you what the altar in the Old Testament stood for. It was a place of confession and repentance and sacrifice. File that in your mind. So when they found that place, the Bible says that they built that altar. Now, all the rubble had been pushed to the side. There was no top because there was no pillars to hold the roof. There was no walls on the side. Just that big stone floor that was the floor of the tabernacle. And in the exact place where the altar sat, a new altar had been built. And Ezra tells us in chapter 3 that they begin to shout and to praise God when that altar was built. And they begin to sacrifice around it. And they begin to worship around it. But the Bible says in chapter 4 of Ezra, they quit building it. They just stopped. There was other things to do. And when they stopped, God gets a hold of his preacher. He calls this man, hey guy. Now I want to tell you something. You may think you've heard some scoring burning, right-in-your-face messages. But I want to tell you, Haggai was a fundamentalist of the first order. You ain't never heard anybody like Haggai. Never. I mean, when he preached, 
He said everything that needed to be said. And he put it on the lower shelf where everybody could get a hold of it. Haggai, when he preached to the people that he preached to, there's a lot of interesting things about him. He preached, and in his preaching, he confronted people. He'd get right in your face. Not only did he confront people when he preached, but he, at the same time, in his preaching, he clarified. You didn't have to wonder, what's this guy mean when he says? He said it where everybody could understand it. And not only did he do that, the power of God was such on this man that when he preached, conviction fell on people. He convicted them. And his motive and his means for preaching was that they might be converted, they might change. Now this is the man. So I want you to see, and you have outlines in your bulletin, and I hope you will use them. I want you to see some things that happen here because, friend, God's speaking to Grapevine Baptist Church. He's speaking to Kent Workman, and I don't want you to miss this at all. And as God confronts his people, there's some things I want you to see. The first thing that I want you to see, I want you to see the people's excuse. The people's excuse. Notice it in verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now they're not saying we're not going to build it. They're just saying this is not the time. This is not the time to do it. We've been busy. We're going to do it, but this is not the time to do it. They've been busy doing everything else. But here's something you don't know that I'm going to tell you. It'd been 16 years since they had built that altar and nothing had changed. Every day you'd walk by and there would be the floor of the temple uncovered and there would be the altar and nothing else was done. It didn't make any difference to them when they would go there on the Sabbath day. They didn't care that everything was not in place or built back. They simply were satisfied with what they had. I want to tell you something. Grapevine, do you realize that as a child of God, listen to me carefully, as a child of God, you have been set free to restore what the enemy has destroyed. Did you get that? You've been set free, and I've been set free to restore what the enemy has destroyed. These people were sent back to restore. You and I are placed here. Let me ask you, do you look around this nation and see a lot of rubble? Do you see a lot of rubble in our families, in individuals, in our churches? God says, I have set you free that you might restore what has been destroyed by the enemy. They had been content just like it was to leave things as they were. And so God confronts them. Let me ask you, How many sitting and watching me right now in this place could say in all honesty before God, God has told me to do something and I haven't done it yet? In fact, it'd be rare if somebody raised their hand and said, I've done everything God told me to do. 
How many times has God told you? How many times has God told me? I've pastored for over 20 years in the Hopkinsville area. And I've sat with different groups of pastors and different churches. And we've talked about the needs in Hopkinsville. God's word convicted us. This newspaper convicted us. We talked about all these things. And we said something needs to be done. But when we would leave the meeting, somehow nothing ever got done. And you can look and there's still things that need to be done. We just didn't have the time. We were going to do it, but we didn't have the time. What has God told Grapevine Baptist Church you're to do? And you're going to. You just had not got around to it yet. I want to show you a second thing on your outline. I want you to see not only the people's excuse, but I want you to see God's exhortation. Now, friend, this is where it's going to get personal. And you're not going to get stomped on. I want you to notice what he says. Then the word of the Lord came by, hand, by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? God's saying, Grapevine, Kent, as he said then, I've been watching you folks. That's a terrible thing to think about, isn't it? I've been watching you, and you say you don't have time to do my business. You don't have time to build my kingdom. You don't have time to build the temple that I've sent you back to restore. But you have time to do your own thing. I've been noticing you don't build my house, but you've built your house. And not only have you built your house, you've built elaborate houses. You didn't build just something that would meet your needs. You have extravagant, elaborate houses. How do you know that, Kent? The Bible says that they had built paneled houses. That's wood. And there's no wood in Judah. Been there a lot of times. Never has been. That wood was brought from the hills of Lebanon. And that wood was brought from the hills of Lebanon to be used in the restoration of the temple. Now listen to me carefully. Not only were they satisfied with giving God the minimum in worship, they were taking what belonged to God and using it for their own selves. They were claiming God's resources as their resources. And God says, I've been watching you folks. Let me ask this question. How many tired Christians do you know Anybody raise a hand? I know a bunch of them. Let me ask you the question in a different way. How many tired Christians do you know who are tired from serving God? I'm going to get real personal. Most Christians that I know in Hopkinsville in the summertime are tired. They drag into church, and you'll do good to keep them awake. But let me tell you something, friend. Most of them are worn out having played baseball or softball until about midnight the night before. Now, if that bothers you, I don't care. I'm just going to tell you, we get worn out on everything except serving God. And God says, I've been watching you. I've been watching you. I know what you're doing. And you keep saying you don't have time. You don't have time for this or time for that or whatever. Listen, God reminds him of some things. And I want you to see these. Write this in. He reminds them of their forgetful attitude. 
You see, they forgot they'd been sent home, sent back to restore all of that. That's what they'd forgot. And God reminds them of that. Let me tell you something else that God tells us that I want you to know. God tells us in Proverbs 23, verse 7, you know this passage. For as he thinks within himself, so is he. What are you saying, Kent? I'm saying attitudes are forerunners of events, forerunners of actions. And what you believe determines how you're going to behave. Not what you tell me, or not what I tell you, or what I make you think. You back off in the corner and watch my behavior, and you will know what I believe. And God says, I've been watching you all's behavior. And I know where your heart is. Your heart's not in rebuilding this. You forgot that I set you free. Your heart is in doing what you want to do. You've been taking what is mine, making it your very own. You've confined your worship of me to the bare minimum. Our people come into our churches. They want to be entertained. They want this and they want that. And they go back out and they go back into the world just where everything is. Nothing ever changes in their lives. Still the same. And God says, I've been watching you. I have been watching you. Remember that, what I told you to remember, that that altar symbolized a place of confession, repentance, and sacrifice. And they were not doing any of that. They went there every Sabbath before that altar. They got all excited and they weren't doing anything. People come into our churches on Sunday morning and they go back out forgetting everything. It doesn't make any difference. It's just something you do on Sunday morning. And God says, I'm watching you. I'm watching you. I know exactly what is going on. God says, I know. Let me share something else with you. God reminds them of something else. He reminds them of the futility of putting themselves first. This is going to get pretty personal too. When you put God first, something happens. When you put you first, something happens. And he says, I want to remind you of the futility of putting yourself first before me. Notice again, verse 5, he says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You know what he's saying? He's saying for the last 16 years that you have refused to do what I commanded you to do and I sent you back, I freed you to do, you have forgotten to do that. And I want to ask you, as you examine your life over the last 16 years that you've lived here, I want to ask you, are you any better off than you were when you obeyed me and did what I asked you to do? And the answer is no. You're not any better off. In fact, you're worse off. You know what God is saying? Now listen carefully. I'm going to put this in Hopkinese where you and I can understand it. God is saying, if my priorities are not being met, your priorities are not going to be met. Now listen carefully. You don't hear preaching like this. 
If my priorities are not met, your priorities are not met. Somebody said this a long time ago. It wasn't me, but I like it. He said, when God gets his and I get mine, everything will be just fine. But if I get mine and take God's too, what do you think God will do? I think he'll collect, don't you? Then I want you to understand God's collecting already in this nation. He's collecting already in this nation. We think we're getting ahead. Let me just say it a little plainer. I'm from Charleston originally, the Charleston right here in Hopkins County. And I want you to know it has to be plain for us in Charleston or we don't get it. I just want to put it real plain. Here's what God says. If I don't get mine, you're not going to get yours. Do you understand that? I get that, don't you? If I don't get mine, you're not going to get yours. Now, we don't like to see God like that. We want our God just to keep on blessing us, no matter what we do and how we live. But he says, consider your ways. Are you any better off? Are you any further ahead? You need to look at it. Now, I want, you to sh- I want to show you some things. God lists two things for them to do. Boy, this is so apropos to us in this place. Two actions to take. The first one that he lists for them, he says, consider your ways. Now, that's in verse 5 and verse 7. He says it twice. What's he saying? He's saying, you pull off of the interstate for a minute. Get out of the fast lane. And pause for a minute and ask yourself, am I really any better off? When God told me to do what he told me to do some months ago, some years ago, some days ago, and I haven't gotten to it yet and hadn't got around to it, how's things been going for me? Now be judgment day honest before God. How things been going for me? Am I any better off? I've had so many people to tell me from their own testimony down through the years as a pastor. When I quit serving God, my life fell apart. My life fell apart. And they'd come back weeping. God says, consider your ways. How are things going for you? Why is it that your life is like it is? How is it? You've left me out. You've left me out of it, he says. And it's not getting any better. Now I want to teach you a principle. I'm sure your pastor before me has taught you this principle. But we need to be reminded of it. Do you understand that God wants his church to repent. And if they don't, now listen carefully, and if they don't repent, God will bring more judgment on them. Do you understand that? I'm talking about God's people. If I don't repent, God's going to bring more judgment on me. God's going to bring more judgment on this church. God's going to bring more judgment on this nation. And I want you to know That's what we're seeing. One of the stark reminders was 9-11. You realize that God's trying to get our attention 
The fact that we have a nation now that is snowed in debt under that it'll never get out of. The fact that we have a nation that has gone just the opposite direction from what God says his people are supposed to go. I want to share something with you. I'm jumping off the course a little bit, but I want to share something in Hosea, the fourth chapter. Let me tell you, in our nation, it seems like that factionalism, factionalism has been replaced, I mean taken off the page, by consensualism. In other words, it seems like that one party in our nation has one goal, and it is to destroy the other party. You know what that leaves the people like? I'm not getting in politics. I'm just telling you what's happening. But I want you to listen to what God says. Hosea 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There's no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. Verse 2, there is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery and breaking all restraints or all bounds and bloodshed flows upon bloodshed. That sounds like USA Today. Look at verse 3. Therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Listen, there's no further, uh, or no future, I could say, too, no further that a nation could go in, a, in the fact that when it departs from biblical standards that God has given, God says you're going to start seeing your environment turn against you. You're going to see disease in your people, in your animals. You're going to see all this stuff happen that you have no power over. God says this is what I'm doing. Now listen, it gets more and worse. Then verse 3, Therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in it Languish and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the, he- of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Now, verse 4. He says, Yet let no one contend and let none accuse. Do you know what those two little old verses say? It's amazing. There's no sure sign of a nation who has the hand of God's judgment on them than a nation who will not tolerate the exposure of sin. Friend, that's where we are. You understand that? Let me tell you something. Absolute truth has been replaced by my truth and your truth. That's exactly what's going on. We have now taken objective morality and moved it out of the place to subjective opinions. What I believe is good enough for me. And God says, I want to tell you, you're coming to the place where you're going to see my judgment like you never have seen before. The minority view of biblical standards, that's you and I, 
the minority view is going to be silenced in a time in this nation, even in our pulpits. You mark my word. You need to know where we're headed. It's going to happen. They're going to call you bigoted. They're going to call you a bigot. They're going to call you uh, unloving, prejudiced, all the other things when you speak up. But listen, he goes on to say in verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And notice what else he says, And since you have forgotten the law of, uh, of your God, now listen, parents and grandparents, I also will forget your children. You know what that means? That means that what you and I have been tolerating, our children and grandchildren are going to embrace. You hear what I'm saying? Some of you could get up and give a testimony that would bring tears to our eyes concerning the fact that you have children and grandchildren that have just gone in the opposite direction of your life and what you taught and what you thought would make a difference. God says, I forget your children. He goes on to say there'll be no personal gratification, no pleasure, no holiness. And he says there'll be national ruin and a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Oh my goodness, do you understand we're under God's judgment, friend? And until we repent and turn from it, there's going to be more judgment. It's not going to stop. Where does judgment begin? At the house of the Lord. It begins with us. Listen to what he says to them. He says, correct immediately what is wrong. Look at verse 8. Go up in the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it. That little word go in my translation is an immediate imperative. What he's saying is once you've considered that your life is all messed up, you start doing something. And don't you spend 16 years getting around to do it. You go now and do it. You know what we as Baptists want to do when God tells us to do something? You know what we want to do? We want to call a prayer meeting and pray about it. Listen to me carefully. You're going to think I'm a heretic. When God tells you to do something, you don't pray about it. Now, you can pray about how to do it, but you don't pray about doing it. You do it. We want to have a prayer meeting so we can prolong it a little longer. God says, do it now. You go up and get that wood, and you come back, and you finish my house. Oh. Jimmy Draper used to tell me something his daddy said. He said, the opportunity of a lifetime must be taken in the lifetime of the opportunity. You only got a lifetime. Short sometimes. Friend, we can't keep waiting. We're out of time. We're out of time. Let me close with God's promises and his encouragement. I want you to see it. Verses 13 and 14. 
Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. Listen to what he says. I am with you, declares the Lord. Can, how can I go out here in the world? They confront me. It's a mess. I tell you how we do it. God says we'll go with you. I'll go with you. He says on in verse 14, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of all those people, and they began to work on the house of the Lord. But I want to tell you something. He says, my presence are always accessible, but they're not guaranteed, folks. My power is always accessible, but it's not guaranteed. You want me to tell you how it's guaranteed? Read verse 12. It's the, it's the, cul- the, the culprit that drives or misleads us in everything we do. Look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shephel, and Josiah, or Joshua, rather, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. We don't fear the Lord, we don't obey the Lord. God says when you come that you do those two things, then I want you to know I'm going to do things. I want to tell you, I've spent a lot of years in the ministry trying to stir Baptists. You can't stir Baptists. They're like concrete. You can't stir them. I've worn out myself trying to stir people to do things for God. God says you can't do it. I'm the only one that can stir up Baptists. I'm the only one that can stir them up. I wish I'd have learned that a long time ago. I wish I'd have learned that a long time ago. Well, let me close. I know you're glad. Friend, I want to tell you something. This is for Grapevine Baptist Church. It's for Kent Workman today. It's for our nation. Where have we lost our excitement, our ambition, our desire to obey and to love the Lord? Would we lose that? We've worn out. We're going to do it, God, but we can't do it now. We just can't do it now. God said in verse 9, I blew it away. I took it away, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. I did it. I did it. I want to tell you, it's only when I fear and obey the Lord that I begin to have my needs met. It's only then that I begin to know the peace and the presence and the purpose of God in my life. For some of you this morning, God's calling you to repent of refusing God to be Lord of your life. And He's calling you to do that. And he's spoken to you before. And you say, I'm going to do it sometime. But you don't know what sometime is. That could be the Lord calling right now. I want to tell you, now's the day. If you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, I want to ask you this morning, as God speaks to you again today, 
don't you put this off? Why would you live without the peace and the presence, the purpose in your life that God gives you when he becomes Lord of your life? Why would you live that way? It's dangerous. And for those of you who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and you're part of this church, I think it's about time that we started doing what God called us to do and told us to do. How many years have you been waiting? You're going to go another 16 years? God called you today to do that. Let me ask you to stand. Brother Mike will be standing here at the front. In a minute, we're going to have our invitation, and I just want to invite you. I'm asking, I've been asking all this week, as I've been on my face before God, that God would stir Grapevine Baptist Church to say wholesale, I'm going to do what God has called me to do, what he told me to do, whatever that may be. I don't know what it is for you. That you would say today, I've considered my ways and I'm not getting ahead, I'm getting further behind. And today, I'm confessing of that and I am going to turn from it. You may need to come and tell Mike that this is what's going on in your life, and you're going to do what God told you to do. You may want to just come and pray. But I'm asking you today to quit putting off what God's told you to do because you're just inviting more judgment. Father, this morning in this place, oh God, Would you move in the lives of your children, first of all, to bring us to that place, Father, that we would say, God, you've been telling me to do this, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to quit putting it off. It may be a habit in my life that I need to stop. It may be an attitude. It may be angry. It may be bringing disharmony to my church, but I'm going to stop. You've told me to. God, I pray for those who've never received you as Lord of their life. God, would you move on them with the power of your Spirit in such a way that conviction, your conviction would fall upon their life and they would cry out, Oh, God, forgive me. Save me, God. Father, I pray for that. But I pray that we would realize you've spoken to us today. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we sing this invitation, how much longer are you going?